This is the Color Pencil Podcast, session number 106. Welcome to Sharpened Artist, a colored pencil podcast where we discuss in detail all things in and around colored pencils and the colored pencil artist. And now your hosts, Lisa Clow and John Middick. My name is John Middick, and I'm joined once again by my co-host, Lisa Clow of Lockery Fine Art. Lisa, how are you today? I am great. How are you doing? I am never better. So this is the show about colored pencil and the colored pencil artist, where we talk it out every single Monday. Lisa, what are we talking about today? We are talking about where to start with colored pencil, whether you're a beginner yourself or you're teaching other beginners. Project ideas to that are great for beginners and some stuff you probably want to avoid when you're first starting off. Lisa and I both teach beginning colored pencil artists, and so we've kind of broken this down looking at projects where you could start with colored pencil, make it a little bit simpler for yourself, and then projects that usually may not end all that well, and then We'll talk a little bit about color choices and which pencils maybe to start with. So what do you think, Lisa? What should we start with? What what is a good project to begin with in colored pencil? Every time I have a new student, ideally, I try to get them, if they've never used the medium before, I try to get them to first work on a rose. Or even if they've worked in colored pencil before, but they're going to be working with my techniques and they're not familiar with the way that I blend and layer and all of that. I just think roses, a close-up of a rose, but in nature, not necessarily on a table, so we're not getting into perspective issues, just a close-up of a rose, because you've got so many curves. Even if the person's end goal is to work on portraits, I always start them, try to get them first, let's work on the rose. And I actually do that for every meeting. Even if someone is working in graphite, I will start them, if their goal are portraits, I will start them off with roses, because you've got curves in there, that three-dimensional look that you want to create that are the same as what you're going to be doing when shading and drawing people. So I think it's just great there. Plus, you've got a lot of detail. So it gives the student time to practice or experiment with Mm -hmm. creating detail and layering to get the small details in addition to blending without being overwhelming. Because I find if you start students off with a portrait or something that's a little bit more advanced, it can be discouraging if things don't come out quite right. With a rose, if you've got a petal two inches to, well, maybe not two inches, but a little bit too far to the right or the left, no big deal. If a nostril or an eyeball is a little too far to the left or the right, it looks really weird. And so I think that when you try to combine where you're working on blending and shading and this is your first time with that medium, I think that working on a rose is just much more forgiving and much more encouraging to the student than jumping into something that might be setting themselves up for not the most positive experience, like a portrait. Yeah, no, that's a good tip. And I think you're right that if you start with a portrait, especially if you're just starting out to art, you're new to art, you're new to drawing in particular, it can be discouraging because if it isn't accurate, then the student is worried about that. They're worried about uh, capturing the likeness. And I think you're right. Um, That is a very good choice. A rose would be very forgiving in that regard. So you made a comment about something that is in nature, not on a table or versus it being set up on a table. What, What do you mean by that exactly? I'm 
Perspective is one of those things that can be a real challenge on its own. So if you look at it in a rose bush or just take a picture of one first or something. Yeah. I mean, just a close up of a rose, um, something where you can still see the leaves kind of maybe blurred in the background or next to it. But you're really focusing on that rose. And then there's no worry about perspective because there's it's just kind of floating. Essentially, when you put it onto a table, you now have perspective involved. And that is a real challenge for a lot of people, especially when you're starting out. So ideally, I like to challenge people with one thing at a time. So in this case, starting with that kind of floating rose, you're focusing on your blending and your layering and color balance and that sort of thing. You're not throwing into the mix perspective and drawing. You know, you you don't have to worry about those other things yet. Those will come later. But I would say focus first. It's easier for a student to get a, a general feel for the medium on something that's going to be very rewarding when they're done, even if it's not very accurate. With a rose or any kind of flower, I guess. A lot of what flowers. What you could do. I do mm-hmm. think, are, I, I do want to throw this out too. A lot of flowers are helpful, but a lot of flowers I would not start a student off on. And I, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, yellow, f- flat yellow flowers where sunlight's not coming through them, they end up looking very childish, even if you copy it just like the reference photo. So, th- so there are certain types of flowers I don't like. Some flowers I like if you've got good lighting and shading, the way that those leaves will kind of curve out. But that center bit, creating the texture of the center of the sunflower can be a bit of a challenge for new students. So that may not be the best way to go. But a lot of flowers like tulips, certain solid colored tulips, if they don't have really interesting lighting, a very strong light source and strong shadows, those, they come out looking too flat for a beginner. And so those I don't think are the most useful flowers. I like roses because you have that curve of the bottom section of the bud and the way that the flowers or the petals curve around. And if you've got a flower that you can find that's similar to that, that's great. But flowers like orchids, for example, the Phalaenopsis orchids that I like so much, I even get a, I'm not in love with drawing them that often because they're very flat. And so for somebody new who's trying to learn how to create dimension and curves and that sort of thing, they can't, they can come out looking very childlike, very kind of crayon coloring book, not a whole lot of dimension. Those are flowers that are a lot more difficult to create that dimension versus a row. So I still stick with while there are other flowers, magnolias, they have the the curve, those could be used. You want to look for something that the petals kind of fold around or curve around versus something that's going to look a little bit more flat. Yeah. Okay. So what I was going to say though, was that, yeah, with, with a rose, I think what is going on is, or flowers that can lend themselves to this is that there's a graduation of color from total saturation of one color. Maybe it's a darker red into something that isn't quite as red, depending on the color of the rose or whatever flower you're working on. But yeah, I think that's good. You can work on blending easier with something like that. You don't have to worry about the lighting even as much. You can work on one type of area at a time. You can work on your blending from the darker area to a lighter area. Or if you're like me, though, and you just hate flowers, I just can't stand flowers. I like flowers. I don't like drawing flowers, or I don't like coloring flowers at all. But something that I think is a really good thing to start with is a still life. And you don't have to have it on a table or anything that would skew the perspective. If you have just a white background and a shadow underneath the fruit or whatever the still life is, then you can still, I think, capture a really good likeness of something and not worry so much about advanced techniques with regard to drawing or seeing shape. Something that is, you know, something that is common and something that you know already and then when you're looking at it with a fresh perspective and you're kind of looking at it through the eyes of, you know, what is this shape? 
I think that's a good practice, even an apple or a banana or something like that or an orange, uh, because you're forcing yourself to kind of forget what you know and look at it very objectively and say, okay, what is it actually doing? What is this particular apple doing or this particular orange or banana or whatever it is or or vase or something like that? Although <laughs> with vase, I think you start getting in or any anything like a bottle or a cup or glass or something. I th- think you start getting into problems uh, due to perspective because it's difficult to draw ellipses. And especially when you're starting out, those are kind of hard. Those can be very hard to see. I think mostly I would stay away from things like a glass bottle or something like that. Yeah. And back to what you're saying with still life too, if you can do a sort of macro shot where you've got a close up of an apple, well, maybe not mm. that, that, that may, the apple may not be the best example there, but like a close up of grapes where you're just seeing a handful of grapes, you're not mm-hmm. really focusing then on the perspective of anything. And you can really work on creating the roundness of those grapes, that three-dimensional where you add the shadows, where you add the highlights, depending on how the light is coming through those grapes. Grapes are a really, really great way to start too. A balloon is a good one to start with also, because there's something about, even though you you feel like you may know what a balloon is and you know what it looks like and all of that, there's something kind of exciting. And I know that may sound kind of silly at first, but there's something exciting about drawing a balloon because it's semi-transparent and it's kind of cool to be able to capture that. It's a little easier than what we may think to draw something rounded uh, when we're starting out. And again, balloons, they, they come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. And, you know, it's not a complete perfect circle either. So that's a fun one to start Definitely with Definitely make well. sure, too, that you are getting decent reference photos. Or if you're working from life, that's okay, too. But you want something to look at. And make sure if you're teaching, make sure your, te- your students understand that. A lot of beginners have in their head that you're supposed to draw from your memory. That We've talked about this before, but that is not going to lead to a very successful, realistic looking drawing. So like with the balloons, a lot of people would think, well, I know what a balloon looks like. That's super easy. I'm just going to shade one in. Well, it's going to come out looking like a coloring book. It's going to look too childlike. If you're going for something realistic, get a reference photo because there's a lot, like John was saying, there's a lot to it that you're probably not thinking or you don't even realize is there with the shading and the transition from one color to the next. And, you know, and you can pick up a 50-cent package of balloons, blow one up, take a picture of it, even with your cell phone. And it's a decent picture to start with. I've actually done that before, and I still have a very large pack of balloons under my bathroom sink (laughs) that I have no idea what I'm going to do with now. I needed one photo. (laughs) Right, right. And this is going to shock you. They were teal. Imagine that. Did not see that Um, coming. Sure didn't. (laughs) Uh, Surprised you're not, you know, decorating with those or something. (laughs) So another thing, I mean, with regard to, you know, getting started with something like this, pick the subject matter that you think you can get a good reference from. If you're doing it from life and you're just looking at something on a table or something like that, uh, believe it or not, that you're, I think you're going to have more problems trying to do that anyway because of where you're positioned. And if you come back to it later, the lighting will be different and things like that. So... Photos are a necessary evil. I know a lot of artists really cringe when people say that, but I do believe that. I think it's a good place to start for a beginner. Also, I think that it's a good thing to start with something kind of small unless you're working on something that is going to depend on proportions being accurate. If you're worried about proportions and you're unsure if you're going to be able to capture the proportions correctly, if you go too small, it's going to be very difficult. 
But if you go very large, then you feel like you're taking forever to get something uh, completed. So I think around a, a four by six or even uh, eight inches at the widest is a good place to start. If you go any bigger than that, I just think that it just takes way too long to reach any kind of success. And especially in this medium, because it is so slow, yeah, it can be discouraging for somebody who's new. It's right. like, I've been working on this for two months and I've gotten nowhere. <laughs> right. I've got one pedal done. So yeah, yeah. that's a great tip there. Another thing that I've seen a big difference for students is have work on some or somebody who's new to, to any medium work on a, something that interests you if you absolutely hate right. roses then that's probably you're not going to learn as much from them as you would something that in, that interests you more when i was younger i had no interest in still life there if someone told me to paint or draw something like that i would have been bored and so i wouldn't have really been doing my best so in my case something like a fish would have been a better choice they they don't typically a goldfish would but certain fish they're usually a bit flat but you can still learn a lot with detailing and with shading on something like that and it's much easier to tackle than say a wolf or a leopard or something that's got that more depth fur that you're trying to capture that look yeah follow your interests do something you're very interested in otherwise yeah you're just gonna you're just gonna get very very uninterested in what you're doing and not even what you know a wolf that that's a really cool one right there i think i have a shirt with a wolf or two maybe three on it (laughs) i'll just take that and draw from it awesome okay so (laughs) what about projects that don't end well you want to just run down this list a little bit here? Lisa? Yeah, let's, I mean, we talked about faces a little bit. Let's talk about that just for a second again. Why is that? You know, I think one of the reasons why a face would be difficult is because there are so many things going on with a face. There's perspective, there's proportion, there is accurate shading. Just the line drawing in a face or a portrait has to be very, very accurate in order for the likeness to be achieved. And then in order for it to look three-dimensional, it can end up looking very flat. And then it looks very inorganic in different areas, especially like the nose or just the plane of the face with regard to where the cheeks and the jawbones and in that area of the upper part of the skull by the forehead, where that begins to gradually turn into the side of the head. Those are are very hard to get correct when you're starting out in portraits. And so when you're starting out drawing, I just think there's too many too many things against you at the beginning there. Yeah, and then you top that off with the fact when you're first learning, one of the problems that a lot of people yeah. have is that they, they use too much pressure with the pencil too soon and they can't end up adding a lot of layers. So if they get to a point where they know they need a highlight on a cheek to make it look more three-dimensional, but the paper won't take more layers, I mean, you get to that mm-hmm. point where it's like, Oh, that's as good as it's going to get. So learning on a more simple project, how many layers, how to blend, how to get those smoother looks without damaging the paper. I think that it's a lot more help. Easy. Wow. Grammar. I'm amazing at you. But it's a lot easier to get the or achieve those looks on a more simple subject. Mm-hmm. All right. So buildings now. <laughs> yeah, we're back into perspective. <laughs> Yeah, this one's funny because for me, you're talking about you would have been bored uh, doing a still life. I wouldn't have been bored at any time if someone told me you got to you got to draw this house or this building or something, especially if it's a, a very exact structure, not an old barn that's falling down. I'd do good with that. But if it was a building uh, with a lot of intricate details that are very symmetrical and very straight lines and horizontal and vertical lines, I would just hyperventilate. I'd have a heart attack because I just, it makes me such a nervous wreck. I can't stand those kind of things. 
Yeah, and there's just so much to do with perspective. I've done them before, but for me, I don't enjoy that process. Now, here's the thing. As I don't much enjoy as we're it. Saying, I'm not good at it. Yeah, <laughs> as much I'm as not. we're saying, you know, these are things that we wouldn't do. That's not to say that somebody can't learn doing those. Oh, yeah. There are Some going to be exceptions. people are great at it. Yeah. There will be yeah. people who they will jump into a phase. They will jump into buildings yeah. and that makes sense to them. That's what they understand. So right. I don't want to, to give anyone the impression that it can't, an, an artist can't start there. No, we're just kind of speaking generally overall from the years I've been teaching these are what i've seen but fences would be another one that type of where you're trying to get your perspective right where let's say it's a fence that goes off into a field that perspective Mm -hmm. can be a real challenge for a lot of people even landscapes i typically do not start students off with landscapes unless some mediums oil painting it's kind of easier to do like a bob ross type thing but with colored pencil i really do that is not something that I typically start people with. That's, you know, two, three, four mm-hmm. projects down the line. But to start with, I think landscapes can be, a, there There tend to be so many things involved, too many things to worry about all at once, I think. Yeah, students have to learn perspective, though. And I think the sooner they start, the better. When I was doing that open drawing class for a little while at uh, Plaza Art, there was at least one student there that she wanted to study perspective. And so that's that's a lot of times what we did. We did two points perspective and just worked on that. And I think that is a good thing to start with if that is a difficult thing for you. You know, if you're starting out and that's something that is a real challenge, just studying perspective is very helpful in anything that you draw because it's just a fundamental thing to drawing and especially those things that if it's important to the student to want to start learning to draw things that are accurate things that depend on perspective a whole lot and you got to start somewhere and you'll get better over time because sooner or later it's going to be real obvious to the viewer that you don't know perspective yeah, and here's the thing with perspective. It doesn't matter how great your blending skills are, how great, no. how realistic it looks. If that perspective is off, it will make the viewer generally feel fairly uncomfortable. Even if they can't pinpoint yeah. exactly what's wrong, it, it, yeah. it, it it's kind of an eerie feel, like stuff's just slightly distorted. And it, that can be discouraging for a student when they look at it and they're like, I, I blended good, everything's good, I don't know what's wrong. And it's as simple as perspective. And so that's where anything where it yeah. comes into perspective, I usually avoid for the first several projects because that's a whole other lesson all at once. And so trying to learn that in combination with blending and layering, it just, it can definitely be overwhelming. But I think that it's a close thing to follow up with <laughs> is trying yeah. to learn perspective. Yeah, it's definitely it's necessary. You, a newer artist often doesn't see it, you know, especially if they've worked and labored on something for a long time. If it's just slightly off, they often don't see that the perspective is off. Uh, Someone else may look at it and say, oh, something looks odd there, you know, but they can't pinpoint it or maybe they can. All right. We're getting sidetracked. Sorry. Um, (laughs) That's that's just something. (laughs) Right. all right. Next, what, I would what say else? animals and, and animals with long mm-hmm. or even short fur like horses. This ends up being a bit yeah. of a challenge. For one thing, when you're having to worry about getting your line, I mean, having that perfect line drawing, and this is very similar to people, everything, you know, the eyes, the ears, that all has mm-hmm. to be in the, the exact right spot. But even when you think of horses, you'd think, oh, they don't have as long of, of hair, so that would be easy. But that's a lot closer to a person where if you've got a highlight in the wrong yeah. place, you just changed, you basically made the subject deformed. You Those highlights, those shadows, that's a really big deal. So again, it's one more thing that you're having to fuss over on top of learning to blend, on top of learning how to draw fur right. and fur. 
is a challenge. That would be one that I would hold off almost as long as I would say on drawing people. Now, birds, I've seen be a little bit different. That's one that after a couple of projects, if someone is pr really wants to get into animals, owls, some of the bigger birds where you've got larger, more defined feathers, that can be, while it's tedious to draw that many in, I've also seen artists early on in their artistic journey, I guess, do fairly well with those. Not as a first project, but as maybe a third, a fourth, a fifth project. Bigger birds, macaws, some of those with more defined feathers I've seen artists do See, fairly well with, just because you can break it down one feather at a time and really focus yeah. on that, but... Um, Animals with yeah, fur. I could see the long fur being very difficult because it skews the anatomy. You're not real sure. And what what's I've seen going a lot of people there. want to do, especially like they'll want to draw, let's say, a lion, and they'll do the longer mane, and they'll try to make the long fur start maybe up by the ear, and it's one strand all the way down to the chin, and now it looks like it has a horse tail, as the, like the length of the mane. And so understanding how the fur would clump and group together, and how you would shadow in between each clump and cluster of fur, that's just. It's a challenge for when you're new. So, Wait until a, a few lorse. projects. Huh? Lion and a horse. It's a yeah, lorse. it was almost a combination oh. of the two. It's like, oh, it's a long flowing mane, and this, I'm going to draw yeah. in all the individual lines. And it's like, no, we've got to let's focus on some shading first. Putting too many elements in one drawing, not sticking to just one subject matter, but putting a lot of elements inside of one drawing, you just made everything 10 times harder on yourself. Because I'm so guilty you've of this. Got, you've got so many line drawings that you have to worry about uh, when you do that. Uh, there's just so many chances of something not working well, something not you know lining up correctly. Now, if you have a great reference photo and you have a few elements and these look to be, um, when you look at it and say, oh, these are simpler objects to draw, maybe that's not so bad. But if you try, especially if you try to combine different reference photos together, you, or you say to yourself, oh, I'm going to be clever here. I'm going to change the slant on this and a slant over here on this one. I'll draw this turned upside down and things like that. Then, yeah, you just start overcomplicating things. A lot of times you'll see younger artists, but just newer artists starting out, but a lot of times you'll see someone want, wanting to do that. It's like, can I, can I just change that? Like, I was so bad to. with this when I started. <laughs> I have a painting that I still have a photo of. I was showing it to John earlier. And it's, I want to say about a 24 by 30 inch. It's an acrylic painting. That's I didn't want to laugh. that big. <laughs> I had to laugh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've got a waterfall in the background, a bird, a macaw flying into the waterfall, a flamingo on one side, a tiger and her babies on the other. And then under the water, I've got whales and fish. I mean, there's just so many elements in this one. So I've got a problem with perspective because I'm combining way too many, per, you know, angles. My There's no, like, definite light source. I'm just painting crap everywhere. I mean, it, it wasn't good. This was not a there's very good... There's light source in the in the water though that that turned out pretty well well that's because i was good Underneath at painting water, water at that time i had a lot of experience yeah. with water and it's funny because that painting that kind of shows that so that was no problem for me because i'd done it enough times but the above water stuff painting tigers and flamingos and birds that wasn't something i was really experienced with and i'm trying to do all of these different elements and it showed unfortunately i wish i had that excuse for that squirrel i tried drawing <laughs> but no there's just there's just this squirrel in a tree and the focus is just everywhere and anywhere in that drawing there's no real focus for the viewer and too many elements and we've all done it uh but yeah, when and I've seen this a lot where students will come in and they're like, okay, I have a, paint, a photo of my dog and my cat and my fish yeah. and I want to combine all these into what? Nope. Yeah. Not when you're starting yeah. off. Even just, No. Right. 
even when someone is starting off, uh, when they're starting to do portraits, um, and you know, not all that long ago, I did a workshop, portrait workshop. There was somebody there that wanted to combine a couple of different faces in one portrait, and that's usually not a a real bad thing to do. But if they're not taken in the same photo, then you've got a problem. You can't have a problem because. What you have is you're going to pretend like these two people were together at, you know, in this one photo that you're going to draw. The lighting may be different. The angle and the, what's the word I'm looking for? The the zoom level. <laughs> Maybe somebody, you know, has a enormous head or they're taller than the other person. You know, they're not really in real life. But, I mean, looking at your photo that you're combining these two together, yeah, they start looking like, you know, somebody's gargantuan or something. Yeah. Yeah, and I've had to do that with dogs where people wanted me to combine several photos of dogs. And it was like, I i mean, if it, especially if it's a mixed breed, I don't know how big that dog would be in comparison mm-hmm. to this, this one. Right, and so right. you end up with a real challenge with that. And I mean, I've done pieces like that because people really, really wanted it. So you'll get to a point where you'll probably try to make it work. But I would not do it on some for or, yeah. you know, recommend that for somebody who's very new to a medium. All right. I want to share something here that just happened to me the other day. Not really all that related, sort of related, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, I was approached, uh, someone asked me to do a 50th wedding anniversary of their mom and dad from this photo, black and white, out of focus. It was, you know, taken, I don't know, in the 60s or something like that, 50s or 60s. So anyway, I have the photo and, you know, it's a friend. I want to do it. I want to do it yeah. so bad. <laughs> I don't want to say no. But at the same time, I said, well, send it to me. I said, I'm, I'm not the greatest artist at, um, you know, doing magical things like this. <laughs> so send it to me. I'll take a look at it. And it's so bad. I said, if you can find something where they took some better photos, maybe 10 years later or something, maybe I'll do it. You know, <laughs> I'll know. It just, but it's not. I'm going to I'm going to say no. Yeah. It's I mean, it's not takes, good. And I hate saying no. And we've talked about that before. too. It takes oh. an artist who is extremely extremely experienced, and I mean like thousands of paintings of people, um, extremely experienced to be able to take some of those older photos and turn it into something that looks very in focus and very detailed and very realistic. That's, That's so hard to do, though. Oh, I know. So I mean, it, I'm talking years and years of experience. And even with me, mm-hmm. if somebody was, I would do it if I wanted to practice for myself. I wouldn't take yeah, it as an admission, though. Right, right. And that's what I may do. And that's what I that's what I'm leaning towards. Maybe trying it out with and I may do it in charcoal or something like that. That's a good idea. Yeah, I've done that. Actually, I had a photo of my mother in law and her sister when they were young. So this was taken back in the 50s. Mm -hmm. And it's a really cute photo, but it was, you know, kind of the sepia tones, not a lot of detail. Yeah. They wanted their right. brother removed because they couldn't stand him. So <laughs> I did it in a sepia charcoal, and they loved it. It was a little bit more, it was realistic, but I mean, it would kind of fade out into a sketchier area where yeah. I couldn't really see the detail. I was able to right. really make that work, and they both were just thrilled with this portrait but being that i did it in charcoal awesome. and the great thing with charcoal is i was able to get it done in a single night so it wasn't a yeah, long that's project thing and it didn't too. end well anyway yeah all right so getting back what so what colors let's talk about the colors lisa what colors should we recommend for a newer artist you know starting out color pencil i think that most artists have a tendency to overthink this i think yeah. and you guys have heard me say this a million times your value and your contrast those are what matter that's what's going to make something look realistic your light's light enough your dark's dark enough so many people get in their head that i'm painting a portrait well we'll use a portrait for an example if i just get the right mm. skin color it's going to look realistic 
Mm-hmm. No, because there are 50 different shades, of, you know, variation of skin, skin right. colors in there in one person, depending on, you know, it's a little bit more pink here, a little bit more. You don't have one perfect color. And so if you can get that out of your head right to the, from the start, this is not about the right color. This is about the right value. That is, go- I mean, color does matter. I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm saying it doesn't matter anywhere near as much as a lot of people think that it does. Or well, especially when they're starting off, they just think it's, you know, this is like a paint by number. I just need the right color in the right place. It's much, much more than that. And it really comes down to values. So I generally, with colored pencil, I always recommend students to get as big of a set as they can and just go by what color they need. I mean, we've got, there are color matching apps you can use or Photoshop or you can use like an eyedropper tool to tell the color. And I've got videos showing you... Um, we've shared this before, videos on an app you can use on your phone to do this or with Photoshop. And we'll put a link to of that in the show notes. But you can really easily tell kind of what color and go for something close. But I would recommend make sure you always have a scratch piece of paper, ideally the same t- same paper that you're working on, um, or, you know, same type of paper that you're working on. Practice on that or test on that. Because if you put pink over blue, it's going to look very different than that same blue over pink. You want to find that out before you get on your onto your project. But as far as like, I've had people ask if they should limit their colors. Usually with painting, I say limit your color palette. But with colored pencils, while I don't think you should try to use every color in your set, I don't stress about it either going, you know, if I use too many or not enough, I just don't think it's that, that big of a deal yeah, when you're you starting have, off. If you have a large set, I mean, you have so many options then available to you. Uh, yeah, I think one of the problems is that people, they want to overanalyze this, and it's just analysis paralysis, and you get hung up on the exact color or color matching, and they're testing, and I've seen people, I would love to have, you know, these test swatches that I've seen some of these colored pencil artists do. They make whole murals, a big old wall full of uh, all of these uh, tests watching that they do and they have every kind of blending uh, on every single color on every single pencil set it's like it's impressive but I would never do that for one it's a colossal waste of time for me to do that because you can figure it out on a test sheet of paper sitting right next to you right before you start to draw and your eye is good enough usually to pick maybe you know four or five different pencils within a value you set and then you look at those lay some of that down on your test paper see which one would work well and test a few different little recipes right there and then you can switch it up also once you get started once you get started you may look at that and say uh it's not quite what i was thinking what i was wanting to go for and then you can always modify that again by laying in more different colors and different hues and leaning those more warmer or cooler depending on what it needs value does matter so much more if you can just get out of that getting hung up on the color and doing color matching comes with time, with practice, and with patience, and with training your eye, and just getting better at it by doing it. Realistically, cutting, I'm getting really bad at the timing of cutting you off. <laughs> I think you're done, and then you continue. I'm like, I'm, I, no, I need to shut up. Well, um, if, I, if I end it, and... <laughs> but realistically, I mean, we look at a lot of these colored pencil colors, and there are colors that I wish I had available to me that I just don't have in my sets, like super bright pinks, or um, certain purples that are really, really bright, I would love for some of the, the flowers that I like to draw. The problem is for the light fast colors and the sets I have, fast, they're yeah. just not available. And right. that's, you know, 
as much as I would love to have those colors, I don't feel my work is suffering because I don't have the exact same color. As long as I get the value right, I'm happy with the end result. All right. Well, maybe you would like to contribute to this conversation, and we would love to hear what you had to say. You can reach out to us, podcast at sharpenedartist.com. Uh, we're also on Facebook in the Colored Pencil Podcast group. We're at Lockery and at Sharpened Artist on Twitter. Oh, and if you like the show, we would love to have a rating and or a review. And we will talk to you again next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. All the show notes can be found at www.sharpenedartist.com. Mm-hmm.